Hello and welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. On this series, we explore the opportunities and challenges facing the higher education business office. My name is Neil Gavigan, and I am the Policy and Advocacy Manager here at Nakubo. Today, we are wrapping up our series of episodes based on Nakubo's September 2022 brief on higher education's top five business issues. If you've been following along with the podcast, you've heard association and institutional perspectives on how to support and maintain a changing workforce. You've heard an IT officer talk about his holistic approach to cybersecurity. A provost talk about navigating resource constraints to best serve students and discussion of how higher education leaders are managing in an uncertain economic climate. For this fifth and final episode in the series, we're talking about the challenges facing students and what organizations across the higher education landscape are doing to help address those challenges. To do that, we've taken a slightly different approach than usual. Rather than an interview that digs deep into a single perspective, I posed a single two-part question to five people representing different quarters of the higher education community, institutions, associations, and a nonprofit research and policy organization. First, I ask, what do you see as the most pressing issue facing students on your campus, or for those who don't work at a college or university across the higher education landscape? Then I ask for examples of the ways that their organizations have helped students overcome this challenge. We're going to start by hearing from everyone about the challenges they see before circling back to the good work that their organizations are doing on behalf of students. I hope you enjoy. My name is Chris Foster. I am the Assistant Vice President for Student Accounting at the University of North Texas. So I think when we talk about what students are struggling with right now, it's it's still on access to the courses that they need to take in the order that they need to take them in order to complete their degree. But then you also have to look, we're still in a, a post-COVID world, if we can say that. Coming back from such a devastating pandemic, students have desperate need for funding access. And whether that funding access is going to come through traditional financial aid channels, merit-based channels, or emergency support, um, what we're seeing is this is still something that is, is desperately needed across our student population. It may not be exactly what we saw during the pandemic where we had, you know, the HERF program, the various issues of CARES, CARISA, ARP, where we were able to provide that stimulus relief to our students, but there is still very much a need. It may not be that immediate funding need, but it may be financial literacy, financial education, help managing the commitments that these students have to focus on their academic journey, to focus on the courses that they need to take, and not have financial roadblocks in the way that complicate that journey. Really, what we're seeing today is, is something that we've seen throughout the pandemic. I, I would venture to say this is, this is not something new, but there is anxiety. You think about you know, students today, whether they are traditional students, whether they have full-time jobs and they're also being a student, there is a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety that goes into managing your professional life, managing your personal life, managing your academic life. That's a lot of juggling that students are doing. What we see time and time again is supporting students through clear, simple processes. Here is how you can apply for financial aid. Here is how, if your financial aid package is not going to be enough, here are some simple payment plan options that we can provide to you to help you understand 
We don't want paying for college to be the biggest thing that you're worrying about when you're attending college. My name is Dr. Janae Chandler. I serve as Director for College Completion Policy at TICAS, which is the Institute for College Access and Success. College completion is one of the most pressing issues that we're facing currently in our country. Uh, we're seeing more students graduate from high school. Um, however, they're accessing college, but they're leaving without a degree. And there's so many economic benefits to having a college degree um, that it definitely requires us to pay attention to the 62% six-year college completion rate, as well as the uh, rates of completion for our students of color, students who start at uh, public two-year institutions, as well as our Pell Grant recipients, right? And so although the national overall six-year cohort rate is at 62%, when we look at our overall Black student completion, it's at 28.5%. Our Hispanic completion is about 32%. College degrees offer economic um, mobility. And so it's important that we really address the college completion amongst our students of color and as well as our students from low income backgrounds. Um, and I know Pell is not a proxy for uh, race and other things, but it's an indicator and it's one of the few indicators that we have of someone's family um, economic background. And right now, um, Pell students um, across the board are completing at 40, 40%, while um, Pell recipients at our public two years are only completing about 29%. And so college completion is really important and it's a, a pressing issue that we have to keep at the forefront, not just for completion rate improvement, but also for economic mobility. Emmanuel Guillory, Director of Student and Institutional Aid Policy at the National Association of Independent Colleges and Universities. The issue facing students would be the student loan debt forgiveness proposal that was announced by the administration last August. Um, the reason why I say this is because a number of students have their hopes up and borrowers have their hopes up of potentially having either $10,000 or $20,000 of loan debt forgiven. Um, and when the Biden administration made the announcement, the Department of Education did a pretty good job of making sure all borrowers and those students that qualify actually knew about the application. Um, they did a really big push to get students to actually apply and borrowers to apply. Because of that big push, over 25 million applications came in. Um, and the department actually ended up approving 16 million of those applications and 8 million of those um, or 8 million borrowers were able to be identified as not needing to submit an application in order to have their debt forgiven. And remember that that's $20,000 for fellow grant recipients and 10000 for other borrowers as long as their income is $125,000 or below. And so that is on pause at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court had oral arguments February 28th um, on two cases, Biden v. Nebraska and Department of Education v. Brown. And we are supposed to hear back in June on what the final decision is. But in addition to this, student loan payments are still paused. And that took place back in March of 2020 with the CARES Act and has been extended by both the Biden administration and the Trump administration. And so 
right now, what we're hearing is that that student loan repayment pause will be lifted June 30th of this year and payments are to resume 60 days after that. In addition to that, the Supreme Court decision is supposed to be finalized in June. The department indicated that whether or not that is the case, payments will still resume 60 days after June 30th. So with payments resuming and the potential of debt being forgiven, students are in limbo, borrowers are in limbo. We're all kind of in limbo and waiting to see what will happen, when it will happen, and actually how it will happen. Hello, this is Jeremy DeGorio, Vice President for Budget and Human Resources at Stetson University um, in Central Florida. Today, it's challenging to be a, a student on a university or college campus. Their high school experience was interrupted by COVID, and we had virtuality for many of our students. Uh, safety in schools, both at the K-12 level and in higher education, are in question as we see more and more activity happening on university campuses. <clears throat> We also see great socio-political challenges for our students as they wrestle with big ideas and big topics in the United States. As a result of these challenges, I think that we have seen increased mental health issues for our students. Those can result from an increased desire for counseling, higher anxiety in the classroom, additional stress, and other challenges that affect not only our first-year students, but students going into graduation. In addition to these mental health concerns, we've also seen increased financial burden for many of our students on our campus. Inflation is on the rise. We've seen family and parents' ability to pay continue to be challenged. And we know that the cost of an education is continually in question for all of our communities. Hi, I'm David Arnold, the Assistant Vice President for Health, Safety, and Wellbeing Initiatives with NASPA, a membership association for student affairs professionals. So when we're considering the higher education landscape as a whole, I think one of the most pressing issues that faces college students is certainly their mental health. I mean, we hear about this from administrators, uh, student affairs professionals, folks on the ground uh, constantly that students are struggling with their mental health. We hear from students, too, in recent surveys done by the Healthy Minds Survey, American College Health Association's National College Health assessment, we can see that uh, screenings and flags for mental health continue to be highly evaluated by students, which means that there's a need. The good news there is that we're meeting that need in a lot of ways, whether through college counseling centers, peer-to-peer counseling, or other informal support that students get to access to. The side of the story that doesn't get talked about as much is that there are things at colleges and universities that we're doing to meet mental health challenges. Now that we've heard from everyone about the challenges that they see facing students, let's come back around to Chris Foster to begin hearing about the ways that the community is working on improvements. At UNT, we, we really started looking at, at affordability in, in 2018, 2019. And one of the things that we started seeing is, you know, regardless of what department it is, regardless of what you know, service we're talking about, we needed to build a centralized location where, where we can promote, here are all the ways that we can help you. And so one of the things that we created was what we call our Start Green, Stay Green program. Um, and, you know, as, as I've talked to different colleagues across the country, and I've, I've presented on this a couple of times, 
one of the biggest questions I get asked is, okay, you created a program, you call it Start Green, Stay Green, what did it cost? It didn't cost anything. We, we literally created this program initially as a, a way, as a catalog of all of the services that we can provide. And, and it's everything from here's, here's references to how you can um, make it through that financial aid journey that I mentioned a minute ago. Here's how you can understand our emergency payment plan options um, if you're a little short on cash right before a tuition due date. Um, all the way into health resources, or if you have food insecurity or housing insecurity, or our, our you know, gowns for grads program, um, where we have these resources available to you. We treated Start Green, Stay Green as a way to connect students with resources. Now, behind that, we had a team in, um, in our office that was um, looking at if a student had a request that was not something that could be, oh, this is a pay plan question, or this is a financial aid question, or this is a food pantry question. Our Dean of Students offer, offers a food pantry on campus. But if it wasn't any one of those things, we had a staff member, again, this was not their primary role, so it's not like we created a role for it. We had a staff member who was just looking at these requests and it would come in and maybe it was a co-branded request. So it was a little bit financial aid, a little bit student accounting, um, maybe a little bit academic too. They would look at it and our job was to triage. How can we help break down barriers for those students and get their questions answered? And that is really how we've continued to grow the Start Green, Stay Green program. It is still a, a, a concierge service to an extent, it is not something where we have had to invest a significant amount of capital into that. Now, we're always looking at how and what the next step is, but it was something we were able to do with very limited resources that had a huge impact for students who may have been caught in between um, some of these services. One of the taglines that we use um, with our Start Green, Stay Green program is, you know, you've got this, we've got you. Let us help you navigate this journey because no one, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I just want to pay my tuition bill. No one wakes up and says that. And so our goal is how can we help you stay focused on what you need to do academically? And in any time we, we see this is a, a financial process has gotten too complicated. That's where we've got to focus because that's where we can't fail. These processes can't be the main stressor for our students. There's enough anxiety in the world. Yeah, so TICUS, um, we are a trusted source of research, design, and advocacy for student-centered public policies that promote affordability, accountability, and equity in higher education. And what we've done is we've researched and we've done a national landscape of success programs and models that have really improved post-secondary outcomes for students, um, particularly students of color and students from low-income backgrounds. And what we found is that there are many strategies for increasing college persistence and completion, but the one model has emerged that is backed by robust body of evidence and it's what we refer to as Comprehensive Approaches to Student Success, or CAS. And we work with seven 
cast programs that you, you know, people your listeners probably have heard of. Bottom Line, Community ASAP, Inside Track, um, One Million Degrees, Project Quest, Data Course. You know, all of these programs have been rigorously evaluated through randomized control trials, and all of their results show a strong um, increase in um, outco- short-term outcomes such as persistence, credit accumulation. Um, and particularly for students at community colleges. And so what we are um, advocating for at TICAS is that we need stronger federal and state support to help colleges implement these sorts of evidence-based practices in order to increase college completion. The federal government uh, just awarded um, its first inaugural um, post-secondary student success grant program, which is given institutions an opportunity to apply for competitive grants to implement these types of interventions. And so it is really important that um, institutions have the resources necessary to implement these types of evidence-based practices that address the holistic needs of students. So what we have done at NICU is that we make sure that all of our networks, our state networks, um, all of our members are informed of the student loan debt forgiveness proposal, that they are informed of where it stands currently with the Supreme Court. They are informed what that means for students on their campuses, and they are informed what that means for their alumni on their campuses. And they're also informed what that means for their employees on their campus, because there are employees that are working there that can qualify for this forgiveness, as well as other forgivenesses like public service loan forgiveness too as well. And so from our standpoint as a trade association, it's our job to make sure they are informed and it's our job to articulate what their concerns are about that if there are any concerns. And in having that conversation with our members, you know, a lot of our presidents they it doesn't impact them directly doesn't i mean and when i say them i mean the institution of higher education directly and so in large part they're all you know supportive of ways if if it's gonna ease burdens on students somehow some way they just kind of you know they want us to go ahead and push for what we believe is right in, in that space and um they're not negatively opposed or anything like that but i think that in fairness There is a concern about the students on campus who do qualify and the students on campus that don't and what that means for that divide within the campus itself. As a result of these challenges, we at Stetson have tried to make sure that students have every resource possible to be successful. One of the things that we've implemented recently is the hiring of a student success advocate reporting directly to the president. Though we're only a comprehensive of about 4,500 students, we've realized that students often get lost in a myriad of services that we offer for them to help with the challenges, such as mental health and the financial burden of college. Having an individual that is solely dedicated to student success reporting centrally to the president's office has been helpful in directing students to resources to lead to their success. This person exists and has an office within the student union, so is located where students are, but also has the ability to work across discipline with connections to enrollment, connections to financial aid, student affairs, the bursars area and finance, athletics, and many other areas of campus. The individual in this role has been able to really work with students 
to help to increase our persistence from first semester to second semester, which we've seen is often um, a big indicator of success for our students, but has also been able to help students retain from the first to second year, um, which is critical as we look towards graduation and getting our students on the pathway to success. We think having an advocate with direct access to leadership at the institution is also another pipeline of communication for our biggest student challenges. Um, this individual in this role has done a wonderful job being able to communicate to the senior team and cabinet what additional resources and services that we need to provide to ensure student success. One of the benefits of creating the student success advocate position is the ability to deploy additional resources that we know are needed for our students. One specifically that we deployed this fall was the identification by some of our faculty in our first year seminar of a higher proportion of students in those classes um, that were at risk to finish the semester successfully. Uh, we were able to connect um, that concern with the student success advocate, who then was able to work with all faculty in those first year experience classes to get rosters of students that were significantly at risk um, and be able to implement direct reach out to those students to have communication from his desk around resources that were available to get them through the semester and resolve problems and concerns they were having at the institution. Um, that loop coming in from the faculty through the president's office to this position and then back to the students um, was really able to help bring that list from over 60 at-risk students down to about 10, um, which we were then able to um, help as many as possible to get into the next semester. And so I think having someone specifically that knows where to direct students and really be that communication person has had a great effect on our persistence from first to second year. So as a membership association, one of our responsibilities is to make sure that student affairs professionals have the tools and skills they need to meet the challenges of college students today. For mental health, that means deploying both formal clinical resources like counseling services or even group therapy and informal resources like making sure the professionals are trained on recognizing and referring students to care when they see a student may be struggling or in distress. And that includes all folks who serve students. So everyone from the registrar through to the bursar have a responsibility to be able to recognize and help make sure that students get resources that they need to be successful. With that, I would like to thank Chris Foster of the University of North Texas, Dr. Janae Chandler of TICUS, Emmanuel Guillory of NICU, Jeremy DeGorio of Stetson University, and David Arnold of NASPA. And thank you for joining us for this episode and series based on Nakubo's September 2022 Higher Education Top 5 Business Issues Project. You can find resources named in today's episode, along with links to the speaker's LinkedIn accounts on the Nakubo Brief webpage. Thank you so much. Thank you.